morning everyone and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. It's lovely to have Ailey's dad Willie with us this morning and we hope you enjoy the service. Our service for the second Sunday in Lent will be led by our minister Katrina and as always everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed order of service and on the screen behind me. Then you'll remember that immediately after this service, we have a short lunch break, followed by a church meeting to hear details of the proposed development and then for covenanted church members to vote on the way forward. Thank you, Anne. Our call to worship this morning is some well-loved words from the letter to the church in Galatia. You are all children of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for all are one in Christ. I chose those words about a week ago and they seem especially poignant in the light events this week. Our opening hymn of praise, praise with joy the world's creator. And we are invited, if we're able, to stand together as we sing.
And so we come to God in our prayers of thanksgiving and confession, and then we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in whatever version, whatever language, whatever pattern feels most normal and natural for each one of us. So let's pray together. Gracious God, for this new day, we give you thanks and praise. For the moments this week when it has felt good to be alive. For the moments when we have felt confident in who we are. For the knowledge that you knew us before we were born. And the promise that you will draw us to yourself when our life here is done. Forgiving God, on this new day, as one week's end, we ask your forgiveness for the moments this week where we have been less than we would have wished to be. For the times when perhaps we demeaned ourselves or demeaned others. For the knowledge that we haven't recognised your image in each other. And so we remind ourselves that you do forgive and forget if we admit our faults and our failings. Renewing God, on this day, when together we must make important choices, in the moments when we feel excited and confident, and in the times when we fear un feel unsure and anxious, reassure us that you are with us, that you have brought us safe this far, and you will always remain with us to the very end of the age. God, who calls and equips us, hear us now as we join our voices in the prayer Jesus taught his followers, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever.
Uh, I have a couple of books here this morning. I just wondered if anybody knows either of these books. Anybody come across either of them? No? Okay, one is called Unique and Wonderful, and one is called What I Like About Me. And I bought both of them just to see if either of them was any use for this morning. And I think I'm going to use What I Like About Me, um, and I'll try and wander around as I read it so we can all see however old we are. I like my spiky hair. It's great when the wind blows. It stands up straight. When clouds appear and skies are misty, that's when my hair gets nice and twisty. We play cool music, have a ball. It doesn't matter if we're short or tall. Eyebrows like mine are so much fun. Sometimes there are two, and then there's one. My big ears make all the girls giggle, especially when I give them a wiggle. Our freckles impress all the teachers. We think they're one of our very best features. Some kids have teeth that gleam real white with braces. Mine are twice as bright. Mum says my glasses look distinguished. If I knew what it meant, I'd get an A in English. Our different lunches hit the spot. A burrito or sushi or curry that's hot. I've had big feet since I was eight. In any shoes, they are looking great. Ballet slippers make my feet petite. But here's what I'd rather wear on my feet. These fluffy slippers. We're all different, certainly. I'm not like you. You're not like me. That's why we think that life is great. So join us as we celebrate. And then there's a mirror. And it says, what is it you like best about you? And I want you to just for a few seconds, very quietly, you don't have to tell anybody this, to think of one thing about you that you really like. It might be a physical thing. It might be a skill, it might be a personality trait, but one thing about you that you really like. Has everybody managed to think of something? Because we are all special. We are all unique. There is something good about every single one of us. Now this next bit is slightly more tricky. I would like you, please, if you are comfortable with this, to turn to somebody sitting near you and tell them one thing you like about them. But there are a few rules. You can't tell them you like their glasses, their hairstyle, their clothes, their car, or their address. You have to say something about them that you like. 
Now, you, if you're not comfortable to do it, that's fine. But if you are, just take a moment, turn to the person sitting next to you and, and, or in a three and just say something you like about that person. I like your sense of humour. Okay, wonderful. That's a lovely, lovely buzz of conversation. Lovely, brilliant. Thank you. Now, if we're all feeling really, really brave, I want to invite us to do all to, all to speak at once so we can't hear anybody else. You don't have to say this loudly. And to say, what I like about me is, what I like about you is, and what you like about me is. And, and then we own those things. We own what we like about ourselves and what others like about us. So after three, one, two, three. What I like about me is. What I like about you is. What you like about me is. And here's the important thing. I want you to say this after me. I believe all these things are true. And then if I can borrow a sign that the children use, we are all winners. <laughs> oh, that wasn't very good. Come on. We are all winners. Brilliant. Please believe those things are true because we are all worthy. We are all made in the image and likeness of God and every single one of us matters. And so we're going to sing a song um, which picks up on that theme that we are a family, we are a community that God has made. Thanks, Paul.
The first reading is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Jesus said, I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. For if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to the sinners to re receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. quite a few weeks ago now that I chose the title and the readings for today's service. Obviously, in order to get them into the key, they have to be prepared quite a long way in advance. And on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I was quite clear where I was going to go with this sermon, beginning with what is, quite frankly, a shocking story in which the remarks that Jesus makes are, as a minimum, derogatory 
and more properly, racist. And he makes these remarks to a woman who has come to him in utter desperation. The idea of a Jesus who is tempted to divide people into them and us is a really important one for us to consider. And I did, as I should do, spend quite a bit of time working out how we could explore that. And I came up with a reasonable sermon, most of which still survives. And then, like a lot of you, I expect, I woke up on Friday morning to the news that a white man, an Australian man, had shot and killed 49 people, now that death toll has risen to 50, in two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. This man apparently described himself as a racist. He had planned this terrible act and he live-streamed it on social media. Having decided that people who were Muslim were a detestable other, a them that he could despise, he justified to himself the actions that he took. And then I heard the words of the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, who spoke calmly and powerfully and I think graciously. And in amongst what she said was a very important phrase. They are us. I think anything I might want to say this morning, anything we might be worth listening to and hearing this morning, could be summed up quite simply as this. A need to move from dividing people into them and us to realising, owning and living out the deep truth that actually they are us. Effectively, there is only us. I have already made a somewhat controversial observation by suggesting that Jesus made a racist remark. He is, after all, the Son of God. But Jesus did define, describe somebody else as a despicable them. He did not recognise the woman as an equal who was made in the image and likeness of God. So maybe I need to justify myself to explain why I think that about something that is recorded, after all, in Holy Scripture. We know that Jesus was a devout Jew. And as a devout Jew, he had a very strong sense of identity. As a child, he would have learned the stories of his ancestors, how God had chosen them out of all the races, tribes and nations to be God's own special people. But Jesus also lived in a place and a time where diversity was normal. He would have come into contact with lots of people from other nations, other races and other faiths. Obviously, there were the occupying Romans with their polytheistic understanding and emperors who would often define themselves as being gods. 
there were Hellenist Greeks, also polytheistic, but with all sorts of interesting philosophies, who brought with them their own culture and their own values. There were those that are sometimes described as God-fearing Gentiles from Africa, Asia, and Southern Europe. People whose skin tones, languages, and dress would have been very different from Jesus' own people, but who shared a belief in the same God. And then there were the people of um, religions that were not quite Judaism. You know, their old enemies, their sworn enemies, the Samaritans that lived just across the river. And there were undoubtedly people of other religions and faiths that we've long since forgotten about. And in this melting pot of ideas and ideologies and different cultures, Jesus began to exercise his ministry. If the geography of the gospel writers is trustworthy, and Mark's geography is a bit strange to say the least, from time to time Jesus strayed out of home territory into neighbouring states such as Syria, Samaria, Philippi and the Decapolis. So he went north out into the area of Syrophoenicia, he went east into Philippi and kind of southeast towards the Decapolis. And it's while he's in Syrophoenicia that he has this encounter with the woman. And he faces a very real conundrum when she falls down at his feet and begs him to heal her daughter. I chose the reading from Mark's Gospel. Matthew also has a version of this story. And in Matthew's version, Jesus is very clear. He says... He was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So in Matthew's version, this sense of them and us is incredibly clear. I'm here only for the Israelites, the people of Israel, not for anybody else. We are in, they are out. We can try to soften the words. We can try saying that maybe what he meant was first for the Jews and then for the rest of the world. But that isn't what's recorded. Scholars have got various theories about why Jesus says this, and some of them even try to soften it. But actually, we are left with, if we take it simply and straightforwardly at face value, a Jesus who is racist. As an absolute minimum, if Jesus is not a racist, he is certainly tempted here to view somebody of a different race than himself as lesser, and therefore that it is okay to dismiss them, reject them. There are two other people who are vital to this story, and they are those who are the other the them, the people who can be rejected. There's the woman. Just being a woman would have meant she was seen as inferior in the eyes of the men of her time. She was a them, just a woman. But she wasn't just a woman. She was a Greek, a term that can be used generally for people of other nationalities but also a strong implication that she was what they might have termed a pagan, a person who didn't believe in the God of Israel. 
a different faith. So at least twice, and possibly three times over, she is defined as the other, as one of them. She's a different gender, she's a different race, probably a different religion. But if that wasn't bad enough, she's come on behalf of her child. Now, in those days, and most cultures of those days, children had little or no value. They were dispensable. They didn't really, until they grew up, they were of no use whatsoever. So if that was true generally, imagine what it would be like to be a girl child in that sort of culture. Utterly worthless, utterly... But not only is this child female and foreign and of another faith, there is one more thing. She is described as being possessed by a demon. Now, whether she was literally possessed by a malevolent spirit, whether she had a debilitating condition such as epilepsy, or a personality disorder, or some other kind of mental illness that they didn't have the language to describe, isn't really the key here. What matters is this poor girl is as much the other, as much beneath contempt as you can imagine. She is female. She is foreign. She is an other faith. She is a child. And in their language, she is demon-possessed. She is five times the other. So if we recognise all of that, her mother must have been absolutely desperate to go to a house where she knew that a Jewish wonder worker called Jesus was staying. It is possible, if we follow the chronology of of the Gospels, that she had heard rumours about the recent raising of Jairus' daughter, a 12-year-old girl, daughter of a synagogue official who was sick and died, and Jesus raised her. She might even have heard the story about the Jewish woman who had been cured of a 12-year-long hemorrhage. So if Jesus had reached out to these women, each of them unclean by Jewish standards, one because she was dead and one because she was bleeding, maybe there was an outside chance that he would include her child, the daughter she loved with her whole heart. So she comes to the house And she falls at Jesus' feet. And what's interesting here is exactly the same words as what happened with Jairus. Jairus came and falls at Jesus' feet. The woman comes and falls at Jesus' feet. But the reception could not be more different. What Jesus says to her is rude, it is insulting. Some scholars try to soften the words, saying, well, actually, he's talking about puppies. He's he's saying, you know... Puppies are little household pets, and you should, you know, it's common sense. You feed your children first, and then you feed your animals afterwards. Those who've got dogs probably would agree with that as a general saying. And yet it's possible, but it's, frankly, I don't think it's very likely. I've always been taught since I was a child, and I think it is the most natural reading, that Jesus is using here a term that is used disparagingly about people of another race, about about foreigners. We see other people, throughout the Gospels, other people referring to dogs and 
and things as people you despised. Basically, Jesus says to her, you are a mangy cur. You're a dirty, feral stray dog, and you're trying to steal that which rightfully belongs to somebody else. That is abuse. And I would say it's racial abuse. This story, told in Matthew and Mark, along with one that's told in the Gospel of John about a Samaritan woman, convinced me and have convinced me for a number of years that Jesus has a very real temptation to divide people into them and us, to those who are in and those who are out. And of course, because I'm a woman, what I love about the stories is that it is a determined foreign woman who challenges him. But these are probably women in desperation. They've got nothing left to lose. They're already on the periphery of society, maybe within their own societies. We know a little more about the story of the Samaritan woman who has been married multiple times, though we don't know the background to that. These are women who are desperate. And they come to a Jesus who shows prejudice. In the story of the Syrophoenician woman particularly, we are faced with a very real possibility that Jesus could change his mind. Or, and this is probably more controversial, that he could realise he's wrong and learn. Very often we are taught that Jesus is kind of all sorted from day one. That the cosmic Christ, who is incapable of changing and incapable of sinning, couldn't possibly be tempted in this way. And then we have the stories we looked at last week of a very human Jesus in a wilderness facing temptations to bully and to bribe and to belittle. So yeah, I think what we see is a Jesus who continues to mature, a Jesus who works out what it means to fulfil his destiny, which is to draw all nations to God's self. Challenged by desperate, determined, feisty foreign woman, Jesus fulfils her request. Now, I don't know if any of you looked this up in a Bible recently, but in a lot of Bibles, it says the Syrophoenician woman's faith as a title. These titles aren't in the original Gospels. They've been added by the translators. Actually, that's not what it says. Jesus doesn't say to the woman, yes, your faith has healed your daughter. He says, for these words, for what you have spoken, for what you have said to me, your daughter will be healed. Now, that's quite radical. This is a Jesus who hears some words, is challenged by them, is changed by them, and responds to them. Maybe you think that's a bit dodgy. Maybe you think the idea that a human can speak words that will influence God is not quite right. But isn't that exactly what we do when we pray? Please, God, will you? We're trying to make God react, respond, consider, and possibly change God's mind. 
we heard a second story from Luke's Gospel. And Luke's Gospel is very different in its portrayal of women. Luke is the Gospel writer who is known as the one who's very pro-women. He has a lot more women in his stories and a lot more named women in his stories than the other Gospel writers. We seem to have a Jesus who has the patronage of Johanna and Susanna, wealthy women. He has the hospitality of Mary and Martha. Luke also gives us some glimpses of what it might mean if Jesus is serious about thinking that there should be an end to them and us. Love your enemies. Love those who you might think of as the other. Love those whose very being offends you. Those towards whom you feel distrust, whose lifestyle you don't understand. And here's the whole bit. Even those who might wish you harm. I wonder who it is for each of us that falls into that category. Because it won't be the same. My prejudices aren't your prejudices, and your prejudices aren't necessarily each other's prejudices. Each of us has our own prejudices, born of our upbringing and our experiences. Jesus says, love the person who instinctively you would avoid at all costs. Recognise and name the temptation to divide people into them and us and to work that out. One of the many things I love about our church is that we aspire to be inclusive, and I choose my words carefully. I like the fact that we're honest enough to admit that we haven't got there, that it's a work in progress, that it's an ongoing journey of discovery as perhaps we suddenly realise I have a prejudice here or a an issue there in my mind. I like that we have enough courage and conf- to recognise that inclusion is complicated. If we include these people, but exclude those people, what does that say about our inclusivity? Or even if not people, then ideas or whatever. Because to welcome people and accept people and to do our best to love them as God loves them doesn't mean that anything goes. It means those values of inclusion, those values that say we are all valued valued even in God's sight, has to be lived out. So, you know, we might need to challenge racist comments or homophobic comments or sexist comments or whateverist comments. Overcoming the temptation to label people as them and us isn't easy. It really, really is not easy. One thing we can draw from the stories today is that Jesus knows that because he has experienced it himself. Later on today, we're going to be reflecting on and thinking about and praying about the proposals that we hope will enable us to return to our own premises in the future. 
a lot of work has gone to bring us to this point. And all that work has been underpinned by the values of our church. Values of welcome and inclusion. A commitment to open doors, open minds and open hearts. A commitment to welcome all kinds of people, offering them a safe place to meet. And I'm excited by that. And it gives me the energy, I guess, to keep going at the times when it all feels like it's endless and it's frustrating because I'm talking about floor finishes or where you put a plug socket or whatever it might be. I'm excited because the purpose of this building is to continue the work of Hillhead Baptist Church. It's tempting, and I'm no different from anybody else in this, thinks it's our building and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be for us. But actually, it's so much more than that. Just as Jesus had to learn what it meant to live and to witness in his own multicultural, multi-ethnic context, listening to voices that challenged him, loving those who disagreed with him, so we have that same opportunity here in Glasgow in our own multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse and wonderful city. We have an opportunity to live out our response to this temptation to divide people into them and us. And rather delight in God's gracious welcome for all. As we echo in our attitudes and our actions the words of the New Zealand Prime Minister, they are us. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, treat others the way you would like to be treated. It's not easy, but it's what God calls us to do. The church is like a table set in an open house. No protocol for seating, a symbol of inviting, of sharing, drinking, eating, an end to them and us.
come together now prayers for others and then now prayers for each other. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you to offer our praises. Praises of thanks for all of your creation. We give thanks that you are a God of justice, love, peace and inclusion. We pray now for all those who are seeking your truth, who are seeking your presence in their lives and are seeking your presence to heal our broken world. We pray that we too will walk humbly with you, that we will love mercy and that we too will do justice. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for putting your song in our hearts. We pray that we can be a family of your people. And we offer our praise to our own community here in our church. So that we may live in harmony. So that we may hear your voice and do your will. And we pray for your blessing as we move forward prayerfully and in faith in our future here together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we will walk humbly with you, putting our trust in you, looking forward in hope and in faith that you will lead us. We pray that we will walk humbly in your care, sharing in each other's needs, guided by your Spirit onward into new life with you each day. Heavenly Father, we pray for your worshipping communities across the world, we pray and give thanks for our own congregation and especially today in our prayer diaries we bring to you our friends Ian and Mary Sinclair and Betty Spears asking for your blessings upon them and on all of us. And as we worship here together we ask also for your blessing upon us in our church meeting seeking your guidance and love to be shared among us in harmony and in faith we seek to walk humbly with you, to love your mercy, and to do justice. This we pray in your name. Amen.
Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and who grants us peace, we bring these offerings of money and with them ourselves, our skills, our intellect and our love and ask that all be employed in your service. Amen. Look forward in faith. All time is in God's hand. If you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing. grace and mercy who makes us in your image seeks us in our wanderings and supports us in our struggles lead us from this place and from this moment to live out more courageously the values we profess to the glory of your name this day and always (coughs) 